now is the time for quiet men, actually. That, that the skills and traits that quiet men have naturally, like those deeper connections you were just describing, Eugene, uh, along with a calmer demeanor, along with a willingness to listen more than you talk, uh, a willingness to be introspective about privilege, actually, and, and power. Um, all of those things are really needed right now. Welcome to episode 44 of Give Yourself Some Leeway with me, your host, Eugene Lee. Today, I am joined by Ed Fraunheim, the co-author of Reinventing Masculinity. And today we get really deep on introversion and masculinity and why now of all times is probably where we need introverted qualities and people the most in the workplace. And I found this really, really interesting and not just biased because yes, I am introverted naturally myself, but it really delved into what are those qualities of an introvert and how do we apply them to the workplace? It was something that I hadn't delved into before and Ed was approaching it from a point of introversion and masculinity. So I really hope you enjoyed today's episode. I won't get too much into it now. Just give it a listen and let me know what you think. You can reach out to me on Instagram, give yourself some leeway.com or shoot me an email hey you can even leave a voice note here on spotify and i'll get back to you like straight away again let's get to it straight to the episode i really hope you enjoyed today's episode with ed frownheim ed it is great to have you here on the show and i really appreciate jim young for making the connection and introducing us um especially since he had such a great in-depth insight into burnout especially with expansive intimacy and you also have a very interesting burnout story yourself and one thing that I have realized a lot when it comes to people who have experienced burnout is that they tend to hit a rock bottom moment or a turning point or this moment of realization and that brings them on a journey of self-recovery growth and development and then somewhere along that journey for some of us it we reached this spark or vision that we want to help others and whether that be part of your journey your self-recovery journey that serving others is part of your growth and development or maybe we just don't want other people to go through the same pain and experience burnout like we did so it what was that like for you and why do you do what you do today thanks eugene uh really grateful to be here and again uh, grateful to Jim, for connecting us. Um, yeah, uh, the story that I thought I would share with you related to burnout uh, is having a heart attack uh, in 2021 that in, in a way was, I believe, caused by burnout. Work-related and a little bit life-related too. Uh, but basically, uh, I had a moment where I was talking to a friend on the phone, walking in my local park and I just had to sit down. I was feeling lightheaded and nauseous and I later went to the hospital and found I had a mild heart attack. Uh, and I had a specific kind of heart attack that is called a coronary spasm, coronary artery spasm, which is to say it's not the kind that comes from a lot of uh, plaque buildup in your, in your arteries. Uh, I'm pretty fit I'm doing yoga and swimming, but it tends to come from either um, smoking or doing methamphetamines or cocaine. I don't do any of those things. Uh, it was likely for me a case of stress. Stress that I believe had a lot to do with work. 
And in particular, I had been working uh, to be a successful entrepreneur, Eugene, um, which was kind of a dream come true in a way. I'd left my, my company in 20, the end of 2020 and was uh, making my way doing this, but it was a lot of pressure on, on me to, as a guy to you know provide for my family, to succeed. Um, and I was, my schedule, if you looked at my Google calendar was completely packed. I was taking on too much. I'd like, I ultimately had like 20 projects that I was juggling. And I also was trying to teach my two teenagers how to drive uh, automobile, uh, learn how to drive a car in San Francisco, which is one of the worst cities to drive in the country, ranked second in one study in terms of worst cities to drive. And all of it added up to just a lot of pressure and stress. Um, so I had great care at, at Kaiser Permanente Hospital. Uh, the doctors were able to open up my clenched artery with a little burst of nitroglycerin juice, you might say. And I came out of that, as you put it, in, in, in kind of a rock bottom place of like, all right, I got to change. I have to do less work uh, and I've got to be more intentional about what I do. And eventually I ended up uh, realizing that there was also some work to be done around my identity as a man. And, and, and I learned that I wasn't alone in feeling kind of like I'd been a bad guy somehow by having to get help that I, that, that all people, all these people sending, sending me notes of, of support and congratulations that I was feeling better. It, on some level, it, it was great, but it also felt like I was not that self-reliant man that I'm supposed to be, you know? So what I learned is, and then I ultimately led to that spark, as you talked about, of helping others, is that I wanted to explore how coming out of a heart attack or other heart incidents, men often have a sense of broken masculinity. This is something that some researchers found in Canada. And I wanted to help guys see like we need to re reinvent our sense of what it means to be a man to prevent and also recover from heart incidents and, and other big health scares. So that that's a synopsis of, of, of my story and why I do what I do. I'm still working on these questions of masculinity and, and organizational culture to try to help them be places where men can feel free to live fuller lives, more soulful lives, and everyone around them, therefore, can be free to do that as well. Yeah, it's very interesting when you say that you had the, the heart attack, but like say, did you have any symptoms of burnout before the heart attack? Or was that, let's say, your defining moment that you realized you had burnt out? I guess the pressure, the, the symptoms of burnout that I had were just a sense of the weight, you know, of, of so many meetings coming up and 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 deliverables. And, and I've been working with different clients, different projects all to sort of get things off the ground or keep balls in the air. As I said, I had probably 20 or 21 different projects that I was a part of or managing. Um, this included helping to uh, write, help, helping a, a client write a book. So I was a kind of a book coach, uh, but also helping um, different projects related to masculinity and, and better workplace culture as well, helping Try to bring more compassion to the policing realm was another one of my projects. Um, so there was just a lot going on. And, uh, you know, I know there's a number of different workplace culture burnout phenomena that weren't applicable to me because I was on my own. But I think the idea of taking a lot on and taking too much on, that was a, a big burnout marker for me or, or, or warning sign. So you mentioned masculinity there a lot. So when you were doing entrepreneurship, was that around masculinity? 
in the workplace? Yeah, I I was, and I still am, trying to help uh, men and organizations rethink the ways we were expected to show up as guys at work. Uh, and, and the older models where we're supposed to be that kind of stoic, hyper-competitive, barking boss don't really work anymore, uh, if they ever did. You know, the older ways of kind of being that alpha male uh, often ended up having us show up as cold and rigid and isolated in a world that's now calling for warmth, agility, and connection. And so I, th this is one of my messages that came out of the book that I co-wrote in 2020 called Reinventing Masculinity, The Liberating Power of Compassion and C Connection. And so I was doing work along these lines. Um, and part of it was that, you know, was not wasn't taking off. You know, I wasn't selling a lot of workshops right away uh, on these topics. I had a lot of opportunities to talk about these, these issues, but the money-making piece was, was not there. And I think that that was tying into my own old visions of being a man, where you're supposed to be the provider along with the protector and the procreator. You know, I did, I do have two kids, two teen, two teenagers at the time, one's now 20, but I, I was trying to advance masculinity, but I needed to take my own medicine. You could say Eugene. Yeah, definitely. And that's, I think where we resonate a lot with, um, with give yourself some leeway because one of the core visions that I have with the podcast for this year is trying to help men to realize that they can be burnt out too. And a lot a lot of them tend not to openly express that they're experiencing anxiety, stress, um, they can't handle their workload and they end up burning out, but they don't tell anyone. They either keep it bottled up or they try to just put up a, a put up a veil and be like, I'm not burnt out because they're afraid that they'll be seen as inadequate, incompetent. Um, that they're not capable of taking on a workload or of being a leader if they have to admit to weakness. And it's just about being vulnerable and admitting that you need help to complete the project, shows that you care about the project, you care about your team, and that you're, that you're taking responsibility for the overall project. And I feel that it's somewhere in our culture um, that there is something amiss that uh, yeah. people can't talk about their mental health in the workplace. And I've, I have been approached about it when I started opening up and talking about my mental health in the workplace. I got so much negative backlash being like, you can't talk about that. You, you, you're putting yourself in a really bad position. If you talk about your mental health, we'd prefer if you didn't talk about your mental health. And that was supposed to deter me from talking about it. But if anything, I was like, okay, so many people are uncomfortable talking about their mental health. We need to normalize this. I love that, Eugene. I, I admire you for, for doing that. Um, you know, in my case, uh, your those same culture issues were affecting me. I think that I, I felt on some level, it, I got to man up, you know, and, and manage all these 20 projects. And like, uh, I shouldn't, um, I shouldn't admit that it was really pushing me to my edge, you know, and, but it was. You know, and, and thankfully, in a way, the heart attack may have, may have saved me from having a worse heart attack later. You know, this was a relatively minor one that I had. Um, and, I, and I will also say that in my case, I have surrounded myself with a lot of people that I really respect, um, including my, my former employer, Great Place to Work, is a great place to work. And I continued to have it as a client at the time. And when I told uh, Great Place to Work and my other clients that I had a heart attack and I needed to, like, 
take some some time off or to reduce my load. And I also was having an anxiety about right afterwards also, Eugene, because I thought I was having more heart attacks. I, I Thankfully, I wasn't. But that's actually also a common thing that, that, that men and I think women also can feel like they're having another one because you're so scared of the first one. Um, but at any rate, when I talked about this, this, this health issue, including a mental health issue with these different clients, I was amazed at how supported I was. My clients, every single one of them, I had about seven or eight at the time, besides these other projects, they, they were generous, they were caring, they were loving. Uh, they made space uh, for me to stretch out assignment times. Uh, they sent flowers. They um, they told they told me their own stories around some of these issues. You know, so I learned when I opened up to my colleagues and, and clients and partners this this universe of folks beyond my immediate family and friends. I was surprised by how much it gave other people permission, or at least they they felt comfortable sharing with me, and that made me feel better. It made me feel less shame, less alone. Yeah, and I suppose from your experience then, let's say working with men in the workplace, um, do you find that burnout comes up as uh, an issue in the workplace, especially with men? Like when when I go into try and research it and try to see um, how many people experience burnout in the workplace, most of the data I get back is it's mostly um, women that actually come back and say that they feel stressed or that they feel anxiety in the workplace, that they're more open and that's where the data is. And mm -hmm. I find it harder, especially um, in the kind of in Western society, in Western culture for men to actually open up about um, yeah. about feeling burnt out or feeling stressed. Because even if the survey is anonymous, they always feel like, what if this comes back to me and what if this affects my work or affects my identity in my, in, in my career? I think you're right. Um, and the data that I've seen suggests burnout is a slightly higher rate. There's a higher rate of burnout among women, but it's also quite high among men. Um, and to your point, a lot of men don't want to talk about it um, to the point where they'll kill themselves before they will talk about it. Uh, unfortunately. And one, one, area that I've worked in that where I've unfortunately learned about this, you know, unfortunately in the sense that I, I learned about unfortunate things is the ski industry. And I learned in the, among the, the employees, mostly men who are taking care of ski lift equipment. These are, you know, challenging outdoor jobs. You're in the cold, you're bundled up dealing with heavy equipment. There's a lot of tough guys in that field. Uh, and a lot of people that love the outdoors. Um, but what I, when I was giving a workshop, actually had a different topic than burnout. It was about leadership development and, and effective teams. We just mentioned, we started talking about the issue of psychological safety and how it's important to make space for people to, to feel authentic, be authentic. And one of the leaders of the ski industry in, in Nevada spoke up and said that two men on his, his squad had committed suicide in the past year, two men on his team. And then he said this amazing term, uh, this amazing phrase, he said, F the tough guy show. You actually said the word F-U-C-K, and I, I won't <laughs> repeat it on your blog or your, your podcast, but he was shaking. You know, he was emotional, and it turns out everyone in the room, there's maybe 30 people in the room, just suddenly kind of got quiet and were really with him because he was naming the fact that this sense that we have to be macho and have to hold our feelings and really does not serve us. 
and can lead to these tragic tragedies. So in this field, for example, he and I last year developed a workshop and we presented a workshop. I had COVID, so I couldn't go, but he did it. And we're going to do another one this year. The, the name of the workshop is F the Tough Guy Show for people in the ski industry, uh, in the, the lift maintenance industry. So that's a place where you were right. It hasn't been talked about, but there's some room. It's it, there's a, a crack. The cracks are opening, and people are saying we have to talk about it. Does, does that make sense to you? Are you seeing a little a yeah, little hundred percent. Yeah, I can definitely see that. And I, another part of that as well is that they feel like they can't talk to each other about it. And I've seen that a lot. Uh, where if you reach out, even you reach out to a friend and you try to open up about how you're feeling at work. And they want they they do listen to you basically effing and talk all the negative talk about the workplace. Oh, I hate my job. I hate my manager. I hate this. I hate that. But they yeah. don't give you feedback and say, "Hey, how are you feeling? Mm, how are you feeling? Do you want me, do, do you want me to help you work through this?" You don't get that yeah. kind of support. If anything, they'd say like, "Yeah, they they'll join in on all the negative back talk about the the manager, the team, whatever." Mm-hmm. Uh, or the state of the company, the state of affairs and all this, but they just tell you to man up, put up with it, suck it up, stick with the job. Hey, I've been doing this for 10 years. You've got to suck it up too. And that's yeah. that. That's the only feedback you get when you kind of reach out for help. That's why I think I, I agree with you. And I, that's why I think it's so valuable to have people that are willing to, to be vulnerable or or to say, let's look at this culture and, and, and it's pressures on us to not be vulnerable. And another example with another client I've had is uh, one of my, one of the leaders of a company was thinking about whether to talk about mental health at, at a sales meeting. And um, the leader got together some sales leaders and said, would it be good for me to talk about this topic and that topic and the other topic? And one of them was mental health. And, and one of the, one or more of the lead, sales leaders said, ah, we don't want to hear about that. That's a joke. The, the programs you have for that. And the, the leader that was going to give the talk bravely said, I'm going to do it anyways. And I'm going to share my own story of uh, a time I had, you know, a, a very severe mental health challenge. And when she delivered that talk, a lot of people on that sales room reached out to her and said, I'm so glad you did share your own story. And even one of the people that criticized the idea of talking about mental health he himself acknowledged that he was dealing with stress and mental health challenges. So we need to get brave about this topic. And, and that, that's one reason I love your podcast vision here, Eugene. Of, of, if I remember right, 100 burnout stories this year? Yes, 100 burnout crazy. stories this year. Because okay. I, 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 yeah, exactly. I felt when I first started out, people were like, oh, I, I really respect that you're sharing your story. But it doesn't sound like what I'm going through. So maybe I'm not experiencing burnout and I don't need the same approach as you. So they kind of like brushed away and, and I was like, this is how I experienced it. But that doesn't mean it's the only way you can experience burnout. We all experience stress. We process stress, anxiety and burnout in different ways. And yeah. yes, our approach must also be tailored to our unique experience. So that's why uh, I went out on this Maybe a stretch goal, but hey, I'm going for it anyway. I'm going to get at least 100 burnout stories so that people yeah. can resonate with at least an element of one of those 100 stories. Yeah. And they Love can it. see different angles and different approaches as to how people recover from their burnout or start that recovery journey. It's taking that first step in the right direction towards recovery. 
Yeah, love it. Um, you know, you're making me think of uh, another arena that might be surprising for some listeners where I'm seeing some progress when it comes to um, men, but also women and burnout. Can I share another story of another industry? Yeah, of course. Um, this is one has to do with policing and public safety, uh, law enforcement. And, you know, on one, on one hand, on the one hand, you might say, this is the toughest, roughest, you know, group, people that are having to deal with criminals and um, they can't afford to be uh, vulnerable and, and they, they can't burn out and we need them on the front lines. But there has been a lot of burnout to the, and, and, and the mental health challenges that lead to uh, alcohol and drug abuse, marital problems, um, even all the way up to like suicide challenges. Uh, and that's a lot to do with those those pressures we've been talking about, uh, the hyper-masculine pressures not to be emotionally expressive. Uh, and also concern that if they say anything about not feeling kind of mentally healthy, that they could lose their job or lose their, their ability to, to uh, carry a gun. You know, so there's a lot of, it gets tricky. But one, but the police industry is realizing they have a problem. There's a new kind of officer well-being movement that's been developing in recent years. And one of the projects I've been involved in is, is related to that, this project, Project Compassion. We'd get, we did a workshop in the biggest jail in North America or in the United States anyways. It's in uh, where Chicago is, Cook County Jail. And we basically made space for people to share how they're doing uh, around about this, the pressures of their job and learned in a workshop with correctional officers that the protocols that are in place to deal with mental stress, like if, you, if there's a big violent incident, you're supposed to have a, a, a moment where you process it, where everyone gets together and, and talks about how they, what they experience and how they feel. It doesn't happen, Eugene, generally. Uh, it, it's up to now, it's been like, you're, you're considered a bit weird if you need to do one of those things. So people kind of brush it off and then the pressure builds and there have been, there has been at least one suicide in that jail among by, by the staff. And, and people shared about this. Uh, and, and by the end of our workshop, there was a greater desire to reach out to folks and ask them, how are you doing? Kind of like you said, not, not just complain about work, but say, how are you feeling? Can Is there any way I can support you? So while it's been bad in the mental, in the uh, law enforcement arena around burnout and mental health, things are getting better, I believe. Yeah, definitely. Definitely. I, 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 that's, I've definitely seen a change, uh, a, a change towards people actually opening up. And I think I kind of, it's not that I jumped in the bandwagon. It's that <laughs> I just had that. I just had that. I think, I think it was lockdown that got mm -hmm. a lot of people thinking. And yeah. it was that, oh, yeah. it, it was that break from, from the workplace where people had a lot more time to actually think about their futures and what actually worked for them. And it was, it. I think that downtime, like it was, a, again, a very scary and a very anxiety inducing time for a lot of people and, and, and especially for families. And, yeah. but it gave people a chance to reassess their priorities. For yeah. so long, even in my own experience at working, I was on autopilot. I was just mm -hmm. day in, day out, get the work done, go home, eat, sleep, day in, day out, autopilot. Yeah. And I and and eventually that did lead to, to my burnout because it was so many unhealthy habits and me trying to 
constantly achieve more. I was taking on, and like at the time I was doing two different degrees in two different universities while working a 60 hour, 48 to 60 hour week. And right. everyone was telling me I was insane. My manager was telling me I was insane, but I, at the same time, they were kind of congratulating me on my impeccable time management skills to be able to do, to do that. And I was like, yeah, yeah, I'll take it. I'll, 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 I'll like, you know, um, I just took it in my stride. I was like, this is what I do. And as soon as I finished one project, I was like, okay, great. I've, I've, I've completed that, graduated from that. What's next? While, and, and it was just, it was almost like escapism that I didn't want to look at, okay, what, what are my failings? What are my um, setbacks? Why am I just looking for the next best thing to put on my resume or, uh, or add to my experience um, a, a piece of paper? Um, what were my actual uh, goals in life? And it took me completely burning out, being completely emotionally, physically, mentally exhausted from everything in my life. It, it, it had affected my relationships, it had affected my family, it affected my friends. And it had a, it had affected the, the way I had been working as well. Um, but it took me to get to that point to realize, okay, I really need to reevaluate everything. And yeah. I, I was going to see if I could apply this, this, this concept. I've, you, you and I've talked about a little, the arrow and circle masculinity to, to what your story is. But yes, is definitely. It, yeah. Can I try to do that. Yeah. Cause what you're describing is very similar to, to, to me trying to like achieve, achieve, achieve and, and, and succeed in this new entrepreneurial role I had. And, uh, you know, you, Eugene, I, I, Jim and I, and Jim Young and I have come up with this term of arrow and circle manhood or being an arrow and circle man. And by that, we're just referring back to the old masculine symbol you see them, you know, above bathrooms, you know, like the circle, and then there's an arrow going up to the right from it. Um, and what we have, what we observed is that what you described in your work approach and what I was experiencing prior to my heart attack was just focusing so much on the arrow, the purpose, the drivenness, the like, I'm going to penetrate this new market and, and, and achieve and, and fight the competition, like almost like it's a spear. Um, and we are ignoring the circle, the circle, which, which can stand for, and in some ways, the more feminine energies, things like receptivity, stillness, community. Uh, and when we ignore that part of ourselves, a lot gets lost and we aren't really fully human. And then, and I think that's where we get out of balance and, and unhealthy things happen. Like your burnout that really affected you and your and those around you. And in my case, my heart attack. Um, but when we actually can embrace both, then we're a lot better off. In other words, it's almost like the yin and yang uh, and that the Asian symbol of, of having to kind of balance the, that sort of like energy purpose-drivenness with sort of like receptivity and vulnerability um, kind of weaving in the emotional life as well. And so those, when I had to have both of those when I recovered from my heart attack, I, I'm curious if you needed those, both of those kinds of sides of ourselves uh, in, in your recovery, but I know I needed to like take more rest. I needed to be more still, you know, and I also needed to be strong to kind of you know, get through some scary things, including getting poked with a lot of IV needles, which was not my favorite thing. And I had to like, you know, man up a little bit for that, but there was a lot of that, okay, let in the love, you know, to, to, to heal from, from the challenges I was facing. So I'm, I'm curious if that arrow and circle concept resonates for you and how you got through your, your burnout. 
Yeah, I think one thing when I first burnt out and um, I like I had like a panic attack. I was hyperventilating at work and I was there like, this isn't me. And I was like, uh, like it was my first ever panic attack. I, I, I started my day as normal. I worked 6 a.m. to 6 p.m. Was in at 6 a.m. Oh. in the morning and I had worked up until about 10 a.m. Usual day to day task routine. And next thing I was like, OK, it's 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 time for my morning break. And I just turned, I was just off the phone to my manager. And next thing I just started hyperventilating. And next mm. thing I was like, why can't I catch my breath? And I was, uh, and it just caught me so off guard. I was like, do I have heart failure? I was just there like, am I going to collapse here? And I was like, Eugene, mm. you're 27 years old. You're probably the healthiest person, you know, especially out of your friends group, especially out of your, 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 uh, all your work colleagues and everyone. Yeah. I was like, you're pretty healthy. I don't think it's a heart attack. And, uh, I, I literally just had to ring my manager back and was like, I have to go get this checked. As as I I I have to leave. I went straight to my doctor and I was like, just going through all the symptoms, going through what I was going through. And my doctor was straight up was like, this is stress. You need to take time off work. And I quit straight back. I was just there like, but that's not me. I I don't I don't take time off work. Mm. And and she was straight away was like, this is why you need to take time off work. Just take <laughs> take four weeks, take four weeks, and you need to work on yourself. And I, I love that. I was fortunate enough that um, a lot of people who had similar experience to me straight away, the doctor had put them on medication. But this mm-hmm. doctor was like, look, I see your symptoms. I see what you're going through. You just need to take time to uh, some quiet time um, and sit in silence. And I was I was so fortunate to have that that doctor um, not to push medication as the, the first option. Yeah. And um, it, it was it was great. But I quickly fell into um I, again my overachieving mindset um I, when i had that time off i was like what can i do to occupy my mind and i got straight into running um because i did running the year before i did a tough mother uh okay. like the obstacle yeah. race challenge and so i was like look i had great fun doing that last year so that's what i'll do i'll just run every day but i found that running was just another form of escapism because when i run i I'm not alone with my thoughts. Uh, I'm so focused on running and trying to keep a pace and trying to get to the next, uh, uh, to the next, um, let's say point uh, before slowing my pace. Um, I realized that I wasn't giving myself the time to process those thoughts. And then I yeah. found that I actually enjoyed walking in nature a lot better. Mm-hmm. And it was just that mindfulness of walking. Uh, like I was fortunate enough especially when it came to lockdown that we were limited to a two kilometer radius of our homes. And I was fortunate enough that the the local park was within one kilometer. So I was like, great, I can just head down, was able to go into the forest and just be alone in my happy place in the forest for a few hours. I could be there for two hours. I could be there for six hours, just walking, walking through the trees. And it just gave me that. Yeah, it just gave me that alone time to actually process what I was going through. And was I happy with my current situation? Why wasn't I happy with this? Um, Can I put A, B and C in place? Would I be happier if I had A, B and C in place? And what can I do to get A, B and C in place? What What's the first step that I can do now to be to get to that stage? And yeah, I think it was a lot of trial and error trying to figure out what works for me, what is actually helping me here and what is 
looks like it's helping like the running looks like it was helping first because i was like great i'm getting all those endorphins i'm getting out i'm getting out in nature but i wasn't actually present in the moment i was just using it to block out my thought process yeah i love that and if i could uh apply you know some of the language about the book that i co-wrote you were kind of experiencing the liberating power of compassion and connection but maybe especially the the connection piece like to be connected in nature again you know as you said like you, you, a lot of guys we're so focused on being self-made men that we just are so isolated you know and and um to take a moment to realize that we are part of a wider beautiful world can be really powerful um and i think then also to you know connect to our own deeper callings you know you asking about what did you really want is something that a lot of guys I don't think do. They, they, as you put it earlier, you, you were on autopilot, you know, and, and I was kind of in a similar place for, for part of my career. You just are trying to rise up the ladder, get up the, to the top of the career, say, or, or make a lot of money. But to really connect to what our soul is calling us to do is, is important. And I think, again, those can be a little bit more of the, the arrow, or excuse me, the circle energies of um, let's get connected to, to the world around us, to our own deeper our sen- sense of, identity and um so anyways I, I, does that does that ring true or i hope i'm not imposing my analysis too much on you here yeah 100 percent. and i think when it came to the circle analogy with, with connection people always thought that connection means networking with others and mm-hmm. i've always i've always been an introvert uh, but it wasn't that i didn't like connecting with people i just couldn't connect with people that i didn't resonate with or that yeah. i couldn't relate to so it was easier just to stick to what i knew and and not let's say mix with people that i knew had very differing differing uh, different views of the world uh and that i just couldn't be around them for too long it was it was just draining uh, yeah. but i found that first i had to be more connected to myself because if i can't mm-hmm. if i don't know where i stand how can i show up and serve others if i don't if i'm not fully connected with myself first and i think yeah. that's where i started and then from that um, I think it was it was especially especially once I started getting into podcasting, I found that I was connecting more with people that I resonated with, people who are on the same wavelength and people mm-hmm. who wanted to see that growth, that recovery, people who are there to serve others. And um, yeah. yeah, it was just that realization. I was like that. I was like, oh, maybe I'm not as introverted as I initially thought I was. I just wasn't connecting to the to the right people. I that's really interesting. And I, I think uh, introversion is another area I've kind of looked at, especially the connection of introversion and, and masculinity. And uh, I've done some research with my uh, a colleague named Jennifer Conweiler. We we think that now is the time for quiet men, actually, that, that the skills and traits that quiet men have naturally, like those deeper connections you were just describing, Eugene, uh, along with a calmer demeanor, along with a willingness to listen, more than you talk, uh, a willingness to be introspective about privilege, actually, and, and power. Um, all of those things are really needed right now. Uh, and, and so Jennifer and I have done you know, some talks and, and uh, some writing on this. And uh, I think it's a good time to be a quiet man because the world needs us. I'm, I identify as a slightly introverted guy as well. Um, and uh, the way the willingness to kind of to do the things you did in the wake of your burnout really shows the power of, of you know, 
not just the introversion itself, but that the broader broader ways in which you kind of really reflected on how you want to show up as a man. It seems to me. Yeah, I, I I didn't even think of that the whole quiet man concept as well. I've actually come across it quite a bit, like just on social media and the likes. I uh, would speak, let's say, public speaking in Toastmasters. I always loved singing. I loved be. I was in musicals and and theater productions when I was younger, and people would come up to me and be like hey it's like how can you get up and talk and like sing in front of hundreds and thousands of people but you won't talk to me in, in the canteen at work and I was like oh um well you don't talk to me so I'm not going to start a conversation and I, uh-huh. and I just walk away from that I was like look that, that that's where I stand and they would get so like riled up about it they'd be like how like th- that they thought that it was um a complete um in you know inauthenticity on my part that i can go up and i i I can talk in public to 100 people but i can't start up a conversation with six people at at the table in the canteen yeah 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 and that that is a pretty good definition of an introvert and introverts often do have a way of being presentational or can can be public speakers or performers um but yeah sitting down with six people at at a lunch table could be nerve-wracking you know because that's not that would be very training to a lot to, to a lot of introverts. Um, you know, thankfully, more and more organizations are getting uh, more balanced around the way they handle and navigate and manage for introverts versus extroverts. Jennifer Conmiller has a, some great ideas for this in some of her books. Um, but first thing we need to do is, is to stop feeling bad about ourselves as introverts, and especially as introverted men, I think, to, to realize that it's okay that we get more energy uh, and we need to recharge after social experiences. We need to have some solitude time uh, and and take other measures to to make sure we're thriving because we can really help organizations and and society right now, I think. Is there an element for workplaces to also change uh, when it comes to burnout and maybe maybe a, a better culture in the workplace? Yeah, I, I think there definitely is. And for introverts, for, for, for starters, but as we were just talking about those, but beyond also, like, for example, for in terms of helping introverted folks and introverted men not burn out as much, it's important to create um, what you might call introvert-friendly practices. That's the term I think Jennifer uses. Uh, well, like having dedicated focus time where you're not expecting everyone to have meetings every t- every hour of the day. You know, it might be especially mornings where you can get work done in, in a solid in, in solitude. Um, also, just raising conversations about questions like introversion and gender identities. And so we uh, we come to see what are the pressures that introverts feel when like they always feel like they have to speak up in meetings when that's not their strength. They'd rather be reflecting and figuring it out and maybe writing something down later. Can we have meetings that are set up in a different way so that everyone's voice can be heard? Um, and and also the pressures on men to be kind of large and in charge, you know, and be loud as opposed to necessarily learning. Um, so those are some things that organizations can do more generally around the burnout issue. I think giving employees um, more of a, a sense of say, more of decision making power about how they do things is really big. Like where, where and when they work for starters and a lot of organizations are starting to push people back into work. And I think that's a, we got to be really careful about that um, because one of the main um, p- parts of burnout and, and, and man- and stressful situations at work is not having a say over your work. 
sort of feeling powerless. So that's that's a big piece of the puzzle. Um, also, just a, a, acknowledging our lives outside of work and and the obligations we may have as caregivers, as fathers, um, as even friends who, who may have folks that we are caring for. That's a that's an identity that we've ignored in, in large part for for decades or centuries. And I think we're finally realizing that's a big part of why people get burned out is that they're also taking care of somebody, uh, whether it's a child or a parent or even a, a friend for, for those, especially during the pandemic, that was the case. So those are a couple of thoughts I would share. Uh, I think more, more and more companies know that they need to pay attention to our mental health, um, but, but there's, there's room to grow for sure in terms of both awareness and then some of the steps to take. Yeah, I, I definitely I, I aspect you covered there about uh, it's people taking care of people outside of work, that you have those extra commitments and family responsibilities. And one of the things that I, let's say, did mention like one of my first episodes where I talked about uh, burning out in the workplace and okay. very quickly someone uh, quipped was like, OK, are you saying that it was all your workplace's fault? And I was like, no, it's it's not that the workplace drove me to burnout. It was that, yes, the workplace was a stressful environment, but it was because I didn't have work-life balance that, mm -hmm. yes, I had stress at work, but then I was also taking on extra responsibilities outside of work. I had extra commitments. And because of that, because I didn't strike a balance between, like I was doing overtime and everything at work, uh, trying, trying to keep up with demands. And then same outside of work, I was... Uh, taking on extra projects and taking on extra degrees and everything. And yeah. it was just, and, and on top of commitments and responsibilities as well. And I obviously, I was literally uh, firing in all cylinders, all, all 10 pots on, on the one hop. And um, yeah. it, 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 it just wasn't sustainable. And of course it all came crashing down, but people are very quick to assume that um, burnout it's all as a result of it must have been the hours you were putting in at work and it could only have been the hours at work. You just couldn't keep up with your workload. But I was like, no, there are like, it, it's, it's a work life balance. And yes, you have other commitments outside of the workplace as well. And people need to uh, I'd be more open about that as well. And also yeah. not to blame, um, let's say their outside commitments for, um, not keeping up with a, 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 I don't want to phrase this badly but some people say uh, they use it as an excuse that if they're falling back on projects they, they'll be like oh I can't do it because of, of my kids it's my kids almost saying it's, it's my kids mm -hmm. fault that I can't commit to, to work and yeah. that's creating a very unhealthy relationship outside of work as well that, that you're right. blaming um your your family or you're blaming your blaming your kids for not um keeping up with your workload rather than yeah. seeing okay i need to i need to strike a balance here and prioritize uh do i want to spend 60 to 80 hours a week at work and 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 then try to make time for my kids or do i need to prioritize spending more time with my kids and set a boundary at work yeah i love that that framing eugene and, and that and that boundary, I think, is important for managers and leaders to help set as well. You know, and I think there are some workplace cultures that have kind of that older, what I would call a hyper-masculine culture, where it's just go, go, go. You know, we expect you to, it's like what what um, Elon Musk was saying about Twitter. Like we want hardcore Twitter. 
In other words, you're going to sleep at your desk, you know, and when you set up those kinds of expectations, it quickly indicates that you can't be a caregiver and succeed in that company. And when you do that, you really lose a lot of diverse talent, like parents, or especially women who often give, often have the, the caregiving roles. Um, and so I think company leadership has to be mindful of what is realistic and, and, and do they really want to have a culture that is so uh, work focused as opposed to, you know, that more balanced and sustainable focus that you can really have people of all different stripes bringing all their good ideas to the organization. Uh, and, and one one example I'll give that, that I, I found inspiring is one of my clients is the CEO of a, of a company. And he recently uh, talked about how his work-life balance is not in is not where, it wants, where he wants it to be. He used to be, um, he is still an endurance race guy, like a triathlon guy. Uh, and he was, he showed like I, he's gained more than 20 pounds and lost time on his races because he's not found a way to, over the last couple of years where he's been CEO, but he, he was promoted from a, a lower different position. Now he's like, I don't know how to balance all this yet. I'm working on it. But for him to be admitting that to his whole company, I think is part of that boundary setting. Like to say, I can't, I'm, it's not healthy for me to be working as much as I am. And so that kind of gives everybody in the company permission to say, okay, what is the healthy amount of work so that, that I also, such that I can be a healthy person overall. I'm, so I'm yeah. curious if you're seeing other examples like that with your, your guests or leaders kind of, you know, paving the way, if you will, toward a, a non-burnout culture or a less burnout culture. Yeah, I, I'm definitely seeing people who are, especially in management and leadership roles, where they are giving the company 120, 150% themselves and expecting the employees to do the same. Mm -hmm. They'd be like, hey, I'm working four hours overtime here and I'm not getting paid for it. You should be in here too, working with me, working your ass off. Right. And, uh, and and that just causes conflict. And some so some leaders overstep the line where they're like, oh, the employees have left. I'm going to do their work while they're at home. And when they come in the morning, they'll, they'll carry on. And the employees are less motivated. Then they'll be like, okay, they're overstepping a line here. Uh, that was my job. That was my project. And now they yeah. basically put their stamp on it. It was like, do they want me to finish the project? Do they want me to continue on with the work that they've done on the project? Or, uh, or do they want to carry to completion? And yeah. it's, again, that, that manager, that leader has to set a boundary uh, because yeah. if they're they're trying to take ownership, but they want the employee to be still be responsible for carrying out the rest of the project, they're overstepping a boundary. It's, it's the same as a relationship that you mm -hmm. wouldn't overstep if, if, you're, if your partner was working in the home office, that you wouldn't come in and go like, oh, I, I see the project that they're working on. Let me like change some of the data there. Let me put in a little squiggle here. Uh, yeah, that that wouldn't end well with your partner. No. Uh, so why would you do it in a business environment? Why would you do that between um between a leader and uh, another team member? Uh, yeah. but Great. I I have seen let's say I have had guests who've talked about um trying to identify what makes a burnout culture versus a growth culture, and they look mm -hmm. at the likes of purpose, uh, abundance, connectivity. Uh, empowerment and downtime. It's actually I have a guest, uh, Jimmy Burrows. That's his um, 
that that's his framework it's called the paced framework and it's how he identifies uh, a burnout culture in the workplace versus a growth culture that's nice and and, and purpose was it autonomy did you say so um purpose abundance abundance mm-hmm. yeah connectivity or connection yeah um mm-hmm. empowerment so that's like uh training and uh, and uh, everything and then downtime as well downtime is very important and i definitely i see downtime is definitely one of the biggest obstacles or definitely one of the things that a lot of companies overlook the importance yeah. of downtime because if we downtime. don't have time to recover we can't be literally running on steam for let's say wednesday thursday friday if we're putting in yeah. all our productivity into monday and tuesday or if we're not given that weekend off to recover or at least a weekend off to recover people have personal responsibilities on the weekend as well the kids are out, out of school they have the kids all weekend they're probably coming in more burnt out on monday morning <laughs> they're yeah. probably coming to That's work for do. some time off <laughs> I love all that stuff. I, I, I wrote that down. That sounds really wise, that, that acronym and, and, uh, and your point about downtime. And that's definitely one that speaks to me right now because I need to create more of it in my life right now. And I, I think you're right about the value of just time with nothing to do. Uh, my, I had an, an old boss who actually said, you could take one morning a day or like one afternoon and go to the beach. You know, if, it, if you're in the evening, have a glass of wine you know, like, and, and just let the ideas come to you if that they may come that may come and that there's a lot of research that rest and uh downtime as you put it are actually quite productive they're not just a waste of time they're actually time well spent yeah a hundred percent so what would be let's say when it comes to the workplace uh, as you said um for uh, a more holistic environment but what would be your top three takeaways to give to leaders and managers today that they should implement into a workplace to help prevent burnout culture? Um, what a good, good question here. And um, I'm going to start with one that might be a little bit unusual, but I, given the work I've done on masculinity and reinventing masculinity, I think the first one would be to like talk about the pressures that we feel as men uh, and how our, our workplace cultures are very Hyper, what I would call hypermasculine. That is to say, arrow only ones that we are, we've been so focused on achieving, 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 uh, and not taking account a more fuller human way of being a, a, a man. Uh, and, our, and our workplaces are sort of similar, that there isn't really much place for downtime, for reflection, uh, for the connection that we know we know is important. So that was my first one, sort of awareness raising around masculinity in our in ourselves and in our, in our workplace cultures. Um, to me, the second one, I'm going to borrow one that E from your, your other guests, like empowerment, but real empowerment, because uh, there's a lot of fake empowerment where, where, where employees are told they can do something and then they actually get their project yanked away from them. You know, maybe like the example you gave, um, but but truly letting employees manage themselves and letting teams manage themselves is really huge for people's self, uh, you know, self, their well-being, you know, and for them to feel like they're adults that are being treated like adults that have some power in the world. So I think that sense of empowerment and power really more than empowerment. Um, and then I think a third one, if I was to pick a, of all the things to do there, uh, I think I'm going to 
borrow again the, the downtime piece. You know, I think we have to really reflect on the, the importance of people taking breaks and, and getting past the sort of um, the rat race mentality that we always got to be running and doing stuff, which led to your burnout, Eugene, and led to my heart attack. Um, so I think the downtime, uh, you know, there, there's a lot of evidence behind doing that. Uh, just as there is on the, the power piece empowerment one. So I would encourage people to think about masculinity and reflecting on it, power empowerment and uh, downtime. Brilliant. Like, I, I think when, when I come, when I first came across the PACE framework, uh, it's kind of aligned with um, my framework and straight away I took um, uh, purpose, empowerment and downtime. But I think the acronym PED isn't the best for for managers it's like oh no you, you need you need PEDs in 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 your workplace. That's funny. I love it. So uh, but yeah, so I definitely love uh, it was Jimmy Burroughs came up with the pace to framework, and I love um definitely the the perp the perp purpose empowerment and downtime were the first three that let's say aligned with my values when it comes to mm -hmm. trying to overcome burnout and especially in the workplace. And uh, he, he throws in abundance and connection there. Again, very important elements. Um, so yeah, yeah. I, 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 great that you hadn't heard, heard about it yet. So I'm great that I was able to provide you with that value. Yeah, thank you for that. I'm, I'm going to look him up. And Ed, if anyone wants to get in contact with you, uh, what's the best place for them to find you? LinkedIn is probably the best and easiest. Uh, you can search, search me on, on LinkedIn. I also have a website at edfraunheim.com. I'm happy to connect with folks, talk more about these issues. I really appreciate the, the plug opportunity there, Eugene. I hope you enjoyed today's episode. And if you did, could you take a moment to leave a five-star rating on Spotify? Because it really helps to improve the rating of the show so that it's more easily found by others who might enjoy the show just as much as you. And maybe take a moment to share with family, friends, or a loved one. Because what better way to help break the stigma around mental health than to have that conversation with those closest to us. As always, reach out to me at GiveYourselfSomeLeeway.com on social media, Eugene.Leeway, or shoot me an email, Eugene at Leeway.ie, because even though Give Yourself Some Leeway is like an outlet for me, I also want to give the highest value to you, my listeners. So I really depend on your feedback. Let me know what you like, what you don't like, what you'd like to hear more about. So until I hear from you, take care of yourself. Maybe have a glass of water, crack a smile, and think of a way to prioritize your own self-care. So until next time, Take care.